Father in heaven, it's true. Your thoughts are too wonderful for us. Of all that you've revealed to us about your greatness, about your glory, about your goodness and your grace, we can barely begin to imagine all of it. We thank you for the gifts that you have given your body for brothers who can lead us to imagine your glory in such beautiful ways. We thank you for a space like this to gather in technology for others to worship from other places, even all around the world, with the goal of that one message being proclaimed, that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are great beyond comparison or description. And for all who are in Christ, one day we're going to see you in that full glory. And Lord, we pray, knowing that that will last forever, that you would draw near to us now, this most wonderful God, so transcendent and yet so intimate, living in us, doing a work in us even now. Father, as we come to your word, we're desperate. We're desperate for the Holy Spirit to illuminate these words, to take them deep into our hearts and minds, pressing so far down that they must find a way of escape, and that would be through our hands and our feet, that we would walk from this place or wherever we are worshiping you as a different woman, man, child. God, do that work for your glory and our great good, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, I preached from Psalm 106. And this morning, I'm going back to the text of Mark, where we've been for many weeks. And we're in Mark chapter 5. It's a remarkable story that you're about to hear. As a church, we believe the events that are told here were true events that actually happened on a patch of ground that the Lord himself made. Mark chapter five records three very powerful stories. The first one I preached on just before Christmas about the demoniac, a man so full of demons that the demons were then cast into the pigs that rushed into the sea and drowned. There were 2,000 of them. When that man ran to the face of Jesus, he fell at his feet and Jesus delivered him. Upon seeing that, the crowds and his community wanted Jesus gone. They asked him to leave. So Jesus gets into a boat, goes back across the sea, where he's now thrust into another large crowd. In fact, Mark will tell us that the crowd is thronged upon him. They're pressing on him from every side. And in the midst of this crowd, two people who are desperate to see Jesus are going to collide. And what Jesus does is really remarkable. Only he could do it. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to begin in chapter five at verse 21 and we'll read through 43. Um, it's a little bit of a lengthy narrative. It's very powerful, but if you need to sit down, certainly we understand. Mark 5, 21 to 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. 
Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And we had, when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. When I preached through Psalm 106 last week, I was sharing that psalm because it tells in just four and a half minutes or so the history of Israel, the dark history of Israel, the dark history of the people of God, which is a living history. I quoted Jack Miller, a man who was a pastor in the PCA, professor, who speaking of sin said, cheer up. You're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine, and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. Cheer up. You're a worse sinner than you ever imagined. You're more loved than you ever dared hope. We are living in dark days of deep division, continually facing an enemy that seeks to devour us. On Wednesday, we will gather 
to pray in our sanctuary is all eyes are focused on the inauguration of our next president. We'll be praying for peace and against evil and violence. We'll be praying against things that sometimes are done in the name of Jesus that don't bring any glory to Jesus. We'll be praying for our nation and for our world. We are a deeply divided land. We feel it. Today, we join other churches and next Sunday and the Sunday after to remember the sanctity of life. Next Sunday, you'll hear a testimony of what's happening in one of our ministry partners as we seek as a body to stand against the evil of abortion because sin is far worse than we can imagine. And as we proclaim the evil of that reality that happens every day all over the world, we also bring grace and mercy to those who've participated in an abortion, knowing that there are those even in our midst that have that as part of their story and that God's mercy and grace and love and forgiveness are for those women and men who participated. But that issue is so divisive in our country and world. Tomorrow, our nation will celebrate the life and work of Martin Luther King in his fight against injustice, a battle that continues to show the great distance there still is to go with so many sides and positions. Even in this church, we, we seek to bring the gospel to bear on how we should be thinking about those issues because we must. Against the backdrop of any form of injustice, any form of evil, we as his people have the privilege of pointing to Jesus, saying this is who he is and this is what pleases him. In the weeks and months to come, we're gonna have interviews with our ministry partners and members of our church about what they're learning and how they're growing and how they're seeking to engage these issues in relationships with brothers and sisters and the glory of God at stake to point people to Jesus. Reed Porter and others will share what it's been like for them over the past several months to grow. You can look forward to that coming in February. Division in the church is what's most devastating. We're gonna have disagreements, but how we disagree and how we move forward in the love that God's given us for one another and even for our enemies is why the gospel is so powerful. But when we feel desperate, when we experience desperation or those that we love feel desperation, when our kingdoms, and I don't mean capital K as in kingdom of Christ, our earthly kingdoms begin to fall apart and people become infused with fear, really dangerous things can happen. And so what we have always is the presence and power of God, and it's real, and we have his holy word as our foundation. The stories which we just heard read along with the story of the demoniac, all captured in chapter five, are really remarkable accounts of this great and awesome God that Steve just so beautifully sung about. I want you to picture this scene. When a preacher is preparing a passage, 
there is a burden. One of the burdens is this, that we're trying to understand what we have in common with those two or for whom the passage was written that requires the grace of the passage. Brian Chapel, one of the best teachers of homiletics preaching at Covenant Seminary, wrote a book called Christ-Centered Preaching. And what I just described is called the fallen condition focus. It's what you're looking for, and I'll say it again. You're looking for what is it that we have in common with those to or for whom the passage was written that requires the grace of the passage. So what do we have in common with this bleeding woman? And what do we have in common with this ruler of the synagogue whose child is dying? Well, there's a lot, but in a word, it's desperation. Let's look at the text. I wanna show you first of all what it is that Jairus and this bleeding woman had in common. Then I wanna show you the power and the plan of Jesus Christ to meet them in their desperation. And then answer this question, what happens when we seek his face? So let's begin. Go with me back to chapter 523. It says, verse 21, I'm sorry. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. Now the reason the great crowds were gathering is because they'd seen and heard about Jesus doing so many things, miraculous things, things that were beyond explanation. Some of those wanted Jesus to leave, others wanted him to heal him. So the people gathering around him wanted to hear from him and they wanted often to be healed by him. Verse 22 says, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, that is seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So what is his desperation? His little girl, who we'll learn a little bit later is 12 years old, is dying. She is not just sick. She is in a desperate situation, and so is he and her mother. In this desperate situation, I'm sure he employed everything he could within his power. And as a ruler of the synagogue, he would have had certain position in the community, but nothing has worked. So now Jairus moves through the crowd, and you can imagine that he's moving quite aggressively to get to the face of Jesus. And I'm sure because of who he is, people would move out of his way, but he's desperate. Whatever it takes to get to Jesus, I'm gonna get there because I've heard what this man can do, and I love my daughter, and the only way she's gonna survive is if he touches her. That's his faith. And that desperation is moving him and it's driving him and it's driving him to the face of Christ. As he moves to Christ, seeking his face, he falls at his feet, verse 22. And it says he implores him earnestly. You can imagine if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a sibling, when someone you love is at this place, you, you're desperate. And he is. This man of power, this religious man, a man whose responsibility was to make sure things were in good order in his synagogue, the people who came were clean, he is desperate. No matter what he thought of Jesus before, in this moment with his daughter dying, 
He has nowhere else to go. He has come to the end of himself, even to the end of his religion. And he begs Jesus. Verse 24 says, Jesus went with him. So he got to Jesus. He fell at his face. He begged Jesus and now he rises and they walk towards Jairus' home. But while they're walking, a woman is also coming to Jesus. But she's coming in a much different way. Whereas you can imagine the ruler of the synagogue using his power and position, his authority, and his desperation to get to Jesus because it's an acute situation. This woman is coming quietly with a chronic condition. About the time that Jairus' daughter was born, this woman began to bleed. She's been bleeding as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. For 12 years, she has had this chronic disease. In desperate times, call for desperate measures. Who said that? Do you know? It's not in the Bible. It's attributed to Hippocrates, the Greek physician, who said, for extreme diseases, extreme methods of cure as to restriction are most suitable. In desperation, this woman over the past 12 years has gone to doctor after doctor. She has a problem with discharge, bleeding related to her female anatomy that will not stop. You can imagine how anemic she is. Her condition is chronic. In fact, it's been made worse by the doctors in their attempts to treat her. She's also out of resources. But something you might not know is that the entire time that she's been bleeding, she has been unclean. So she has been an outcast, not able if it was her desire to worship. But she's desperate. And in her desperation, Unlike the acute situation with Jairus, she moves slowly towards Jesus. She doesn't want to come to his face. She just simply wants to reach out and touch his cloak because she's heard about him, somebody's told her. And upon hearing about him, that faith began to grow. It began to grow to the point where she was saying to herself, if only I touch his garment, I could be healed. So imagine her, ladies. She's moving quietly, reluctantly, but desperately through the crowd. She touches Jesus, and immediately power goes out from him, and blood no more goes out from her. Immediately, her bleeding is dried up, and Jesus knows something has happened. Mark tells us, that Jesus speaks. Immediately, verse 29, the flow of blood dried up and she felt it in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? Now you notice the exasperation of the disciples. You see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? But Jesus knew that someone had touched him. 
He knew that this healing power had gone out from him, that it might enter her, that her disease might be healed. He looked around, verse 32, to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. When you seek the face of Jesus, you end up at his feet. When you seek the face of Jesus, you fall down at his feet. Jairus did, the demoniac did, and this woman not wanting to see his face, just wanting his power, now is suddenly face to face with him, and she too is at his feet. You see, when you seek Jesus, he is going to give you a lot more than you ever imagined. She just simply wanted to be healed. No acknowledgement, no notoriety. When he said, who touched me, the fear and trembling was because she's unclean. And any person touched by an unclean person is now unclean, which would mean Jesus, this teacher, this rabbi is unclean. But when she touches Jesus, she's now clean. In fear and trembling, she comes before him. And what does he do? He gives her more than just the healing. He gives her himself and an identity. He says, daughter. And then he encourages her with her faith. Your faith has healed you. How powerful for her. She just wanted the bleeding to stop, but now her life is transformed. While this is happening, I want you to think about Jairus. The woman's condition was chronic. It had been going on for 12 years, and I believe she was dying. I believe she was anemic. But Jairus' daughter's situation is acute. She is on death's door. Imagine what it must have been like for the crowd to suddenly stop moving because Jesus, the only one that Jairus believes can heal his daughter, decides to stop and to deal with the woman who's had a chronic condition. Jesus takes his time because he has the power to heal. And he also has the plan. He knows what's going to happen. In whatever desperate situation you find yourself in today, or will find yourself in the future, our Savior has the power and he has the plan. I can only imagine that Jairus is growing frightened and agitated that Christ isn't moving towards the house in a way we would all expect him to. To make matters worse, in verse 35, it says that while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Remember that phrase. It's straight out of Jesus' mouth. Do not fear, only believe. 
we know because of the other accounts of the story that indeed, from a human's perspective, the girl had died. The reason they came to give that report was because there was no pulse, there was no heartbeat. But sleep to a God who can raise people from the dead is no different. Jesus isn't lying or being deceptive. He's simply communicating that when you seek his face, he can do immeasurably more than you would ever ask or think. Jesus says to him, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So they make their way to the house. And when they get to the house, Mark tells us that there was a great commotion. The reason there was a great commotion was because in customs of this time, in this culture, they had professional mourners. So professional mourners would come to the house and would begin their mourning and it would get louder and louder and louder. They were there because the girl had died. Jesus speaks and says that the girl's not dead, but sleeping. Verse 39, he entered and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. One of the reasons we know they were professional mourners is they could go so quickly from mourning and loud weeping to laughter. They really thought Jesus was out of his mind. Verse 40 says that he put them outside and then he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, that's Peter, James, and John, and he went into where the child was. So friends, imagine as the mother and father entering that room and Jesus is with you and you see the body laying there lifeless. Verse 41, listen to this and the tenderness of this. Jesus taking her by the hand, says to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. It's such tender language that it's like a mother entering a child's room in the morning, saying, good morning, honey. It's time to get up. Jesus' words to this little girl are very tender and very intimate. Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. How could they not be? But Jairus was far more amazed than he would have been. In God's plan, in that delay, in the healing of that chronic condition of that woman, something far greater than he could have ever imagined took place. His daughter was resurrected. Jesus, the living God, fully man, fully God, took her by the hand and said, little girl, arise. And she did. He then said, don't speak of this and give her something to eat. An extraordinary event had just taken place. And then he turns to the ordinary means of life. She needs food. She's hungry. What do we have in common with Jairus and his wife and his little girl and with the bleeding woman? There are times in our life where we experience desperation. Today, what is causing your heart to bleed? 
in your own life and in your own relationships? Where do you have loved ones that are not living the way they should? They may seem to be spiritually dead. Where in your life do you look at our world and feel such despair, such little hope, maybe none at all? What do you do with that? In moments of despair, we either run more to self or to others like us, or we come to the end of ourselves. And when we come to the end of ourselves, we can find ourselves seeking the face of Jesus. And when we seek the face of Jesus, we will end up at his feet. And when we, and when we end up at the feet of Jesus, we're in a very safe and secure place where his hand has grabbed hold of us for all eternity. He never promised to take away the things that will devastate us this side of heaven. Not every child is healed. Not every disease is cured this side of heaven. But he has promised to give us himself. And when he says, I'm giving you myself, he is speaking about his very presence in the Holy Spirit. Jesus heard the need that Jairus had for his daughter's life. He felt the need that the woman needed when she touched him. In both cases, they end up at his feet. And those are the feet that not long from then, those feet would be pierced. And the hand that held the little girl and said, arise, little girl, was the hands that would be pierced in the cross so that all who trusted in Jesus would live. The reason Jesus had to die was because our sin, our sin is much worse than we ever dare imagine. Let me say it this way. Jesus did not have to die in order to make that woman stop bleeding. And Jesus did not have to die in order to raise that little girl from the dead. But in order for you and I to be raised to life for all eternity because of our sin, Jesus had to die. And he did. God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, much worse than we can even imagine, Christ died for us. So what happens when we seek his face? We too fall at his feet. And there we find ourselves on solid ground. No matter what you're thinking about the circumstances of this dark and divided world, no matter what your experience is right now, closer to home, personal to you, that has your heart bleeding, Jesus alone is the one that you need. Jesus alone is the eternal king. As believers in Christ, 
We have the great privilege of spreading this report to a world that is dying in need of a savior that is very dark. You and I have the great privilege when we encounter someone who doesn't see things the way we do, doesn't think about things the way we do, even if they're a fellow believer in Christ, to point them to the one eternal truth, which is this man who says, come, follow me. In your devastation, friend, seek his face. If you do, you will fall at his feet. And at his feet, you are on solid ground. The God that made this woman stop bleeding and the God that raised this little girl from the dead is the God that's living inside his people right now. And one day, we will see him face to face forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we are desperate. No one would deny it. And we're also tempted to pursue other things besides you, in place of you, or as an addition to you. And Lord, what we need ultimately is your grace to bring us to the end of ourselves where we would cry out in faith, help. Lord, like this woman and like Jairus, I pray that you would bring us to you and that we would hear your voice and find our security in nothing else but our identity in you. You are our friend. You are our king. You are our savior. You are our redeemer. You are our Lord. And nothing will change that ever. Father, I pray that as we close in song, that the reality of what is leaving our lips would come from a place that is deeply transformed by this good news of the gospel. That while we are worse than we could ever dare imagine, we are far more loved than we could ever dare hope. This we pray in your holy name. Amen.